We're continuing in our series, The Kingdom Way, and we are in part two of the message that we looked at last week. It's really part of the same passage, the same thought expressed. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is calling out the opinion that was so pervasive, which is, as long as you don't murder, as long as you don't actually kill somebody, you're fine. Like, that's what you really need to worry about. And so anything really short of murder, it's not really that big of a deal. That was kind of the prevailing thought of the day. That's what had been passed down. It's okay to be really angry, and it's okay to even have thoughts of hatred towards somebody, as long as you don't act on it physically. So it was very short-sighted. It was very surface-focused. That was the extent of the uh, thought about anger. As long as you don't carry it out to completion, you're good. And Jesus went against that. He said, no, not at all. It's all about the heart. If you are angry enough with someone that you have hatred in your heart toward them, it's the same in God's sight as if you had already killed them. And so he, he really raises the bar. And the same thing is true of what we're going to look at today. It's the same focus Jesus is addressing the same short-sighted, surface-level focus that the Pharisees and scribes and rabbis had promoted and that people took from that and applied. Last week, the focus was on anger and a murderous heart. Today, we're in the same way of thinking we're going to be addressing, Jesus is addressing, and we're going to be listening to him as he addresses the same concept as it relates to our purity and particularly with the, uh, the concept and the idea of adultery. Matthew 5 is where we still are, and we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30. And to begin with, we're going to zero in on verses 27 and 28. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. I'll be reading from the ESV with this passage, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. God's word, Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, so just like last week, you know, he said that this has been going around for a long time. You've been hearing uh, this fact said this way. You've been hearing it promoted a long, long time, generations of teaching on this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which they had heard that. That is a command, and that's right. But just like last week, we saw that's where it stopped. That was the limit. Just don't commit adultery. That's what you aim for. But I say to you, there's his divine authority again, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So once again, we see the bar being raised, right? You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. But what about everything else? What about what brings you to the point of adultery? What about everything under that? What about the mind and the heart? How does all that come to play? Well, the prevailing wisdom of the day was to just not address any of that. And Jesus said, no, it goes a lot deeper. It goes much deeper than just that surface level that you've been hearing all your life. In the early 1900s, a very famous ship was launched, the Titanic. And the Titanic was hailed as an unsinkable ship. 
Nobody could do anything to it. No element could come against it. It was an invincible, unsinkable creation of man. The biggest, most beautiful cruise liner ever made to that point. So it was launched and celebrated and heralded as an amazing achievement of human ingenuity. Four days later, four days later it sunk. Why? Why did it sink? Well, it hit an iceberg. And the reason that that happened and that it sunk so easily is really several things, but it comes down, first of all, to arrogance. It comes down to human arrogance that they thought that what they had made, nothing else could undo. In fact, there was even a statement, not even God himself could sink this ship. Arrogance. Also, there was ignorance, and there was a willful ignoring of several warnings about icebergs in the area that the Titanic was sailing through, and there was a a total ignoring of those warnings. There was also a misjudging of the depth and the danger of the iceberg itself. The sin of adultery and the sin of lust in general is very much like that. It's very much like an iceberg. The danger of lust and of any sexual sin goes much deeper than just the surface. The danger goes much deeper than what we can see. It's not limited to just physical actions. And just like the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis of this day and the people that Jesus was addressing, we can find ourselves, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves lulled into the same illusion that as long as we don't act on what is internally going on, it's really not that big of a deal. As long as we don't carry something too far, it's really not that big of a deal. We can lull ourselves into thinking, well, we're human. And you can give yourself that excuse, well, I'm just human. I can't help it. This is how we were made. Men especially, we can allow ourselves a past that God never intended us to have, which culture gives us, which isn't right, to say, well, I'm a guy, and after all, guys are visual creatures. That's how we were made. That's how we respond. As long as I don't act on it, what's the harm? How am I really hurting anybody if I keep those kinds of thoughts, lustful thoughts in my head and don't do anything with it? What's the big deal? Jesus is saying it's a very big deal. That's what he is saying. That's what his message is. It's a very big deal. Wake up. Wake up to the reality of how insidious the sin of lust really is. That's what Jesus is calling everyone to. It's like an iceberg. You see the effects on the surface. You see what people do with this when they do carry it out to completion. You see the damage. You see how it wrecks and ruins lives. But it goes deeper than that. Many times people through the centuries have tried to deal with sin in general, but especially this kind of sin, the sin of lust. They've tried to deal with it 
by running from it and from the physical aspect of it, again, there's that surface level mentality, just focusing on the external of this kind of sin, not dealing with the internal. And so because they focus on it in a physical way only, they think they can run from it and retreat from it. And through the centuries, the answer to this in many, many circles has been a monastery type approach, a monastic mindset. Well, I'll just get away from all the externals that appeal to lust. I'll remove myself from the physical equation and I'll be okay. So through the centuries, men have retreated, and women, to the convent, men to the monastery, retreated inside these walls that they feel will provide them safety against the seduction of the sin of lust. But of course we know, right, that's not the answer. That doesn't work. Monasteries aren't the answer. Why? Because monsters live inside monastery walls too. The monsters of sin, the monsters of self, the monsters of lust. They live inside monastery walls because even the most sincere monk brings all that inside with them. See, it's in the heart. It's all about the heart. And the sin of of lust, the sin of adultery, the sin of fill-in-the-blank, sin, period, generally, it resides in us. Deep down in the old nature, the sinful nature, the carnal. So it's not enough just to retreat into some false safety, into some place that we think will hide us away from it. That's not enough. Because it's not about just the physical. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. That's what he's bringing across. What he wants his listeners, his audience, to understand, to know, is that the eyes, this is why he focused on it so much when he said, I I say to you, anyone who looks with lustful intent, he wants us to understand that the eyes are the pathway to the mind and the heart. The eyes are so important, so vital. Some of your eyes are, are closed right now. Wake up, wake up, this is important. This is important. I'm serious. This is important. The eyes are the pathway to the mind and the heart. That's why Jesus is focusing on this so much. That's why he said, you've heard it said, just don't commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks with lustful intent, anyone who looks for the purpose of lusting, that's what he's really saying here. You're in trouble. You're in the danger zone because the eyes are the pathway to the mind and the heart. So saying it another way, which is so familiar to probably all of us, we've heard this little children's song, but it's true for adults just as much. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you allow your eyes to rest on. Be careful, little eyes, what you allow yourself to gaze on and toward. What Jesus is referring to in verses 27 and 28 here is not someone simply seeing an attractive woman in their regular line of sight and they look away. 
It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about intentional looking for the purpose of lusting. It's not an incidental or random glance. It's intentional and repeated gazing. It's a difference between just looking and looking to lust. That's what he's addressing here. And what he's trying to communicate and get across is something that we need to get just as much as the original hearers needed to get this. It's that there's no such thing as harmless lust. Please, please grab that this morning. Get that. There's no such thing as harmless lust. It doesn't exist. Not taking lust seriously and allowing your mind to flirt with lust in any way, it's like playing with dynamite. It's just like lighting the fuse of a stick of dynamite and just waiting for it to go off and explode. It's a serious, serious thing. And it needs to be taken seriously. It's so insidious. And it grows so rapidly. A lingering look, which is what Jesus is talking about here when he said anyone who looks at a woman in order to or with the intent of lusting, a lingering look leads to a lustful look, which then leads to an adulterous heart. And if left unchecked, that quickly leads to adulterous actions. You see the progression there? You look and it lingers, or it repeats, and it goes back. It gazes, that leads to lust, and it just builds, and it builds, and it leads to an adulterous heart. And then if you don't deal with it right then and there, it just so quickly escalates to action. And there are a million different stories of wrecked and ruined lives and ministries and families because that's how it happened. And they didn't stop it. You know as well as I do how this goes and how, how easily this devastates. We have to look no further than King David and Scripture, which we can do by looking at 2 Samuel 11. We're not going to look at that, but that's where you find his disastrous fall. And many of you, if not all of you, know the story well, I'm sure. David, he's up on the roof. He should have been at war should have been with his army fighting in the spring when the armies go to war. He should have been there with them, but he wasn't. And he was strolling around his roof at night, looking around Jerusalem and seeing everything, and then his eyes see something, and then he looks again. Don't you see it in your mind how that went down? He's strolling around the roof. He looks, and then his mind registers what he saw, and he looks again. And his eyes settle He allowed his eyes to settle there up on the roof as Bathsheba. And he lingers, and the lust grows and develops, and instead of dealing with it, running right back inside, he stays, and he thinks, and he ponders, and he asks who she is. And his servants say, well, come on, you you know who that is. That's, That's Uriah's wife one of your mighty men, one of your close companions, your friend, one of your bodyguards. King David, you know who that is. And instead of that stopping him, he sends for her. And he uses his position and his power to cause her to sleep with him. 
and the rest is a tragic, tragic history. Oh, if David had just resolved to do what Job did, well, how Job resolved to think and to act as it relates to sexual purity, purity of the mind, of the heart. Job said in Job 31.1, now, little disclaimer, this was him continuing to focus on his own self-righteousness, and this was him saying this to vindicate himself and really to show that God was not being just. So ultimately, it wasn't a good thing that he was pulling this card, but... But underneath of that, the principle is sound and the concept is right. And, and it did show that Job was thinking of this the right way. Job 31.1, he says this, and this is from the NLT. I made a covenant with my eyes. What a great statement. What a great thought. A covenant with your eyes. Remember, eyes, our eyes are the pathway, right, to the mind and the heart. Job understood that. He got that. He knew I need to guard my eyes because my eyes are the pathway to my mind and my heart, which then lead to action. I need to guard my eyes. So I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. If David had just resolved to do what Job did, we would be able to read a different story, a different narrative. Oh, if we all of us would resolve the way Job resolved this, that we would make a covenant with our eyes not to look with lust. Friends, we have to choose what to do with what we see. That's what it comes down to. We have to choose what to do with what we see. And this cannot be reactive. It has to be proactive. We have to be proactive in this. We can't just wait for that seduction to come our way. We can't just do nothing ahead of the lustful situation coming our way. We have to have a plan in place before it happens. It's preemptive, proactive, not just reactive. We have to know and be aware of the world in which we live. That we don't have to go looking for lustful things, lustful images that provoke lustful and adulterous thoughts. We don't have to go looking for it. We're inundated with it, right? Saturated. It's a constant, constant thing. And so what we have to do as kingdom citizens is choose ahead of time and during our exposure to whatever it is that's coming our way. We have to choose what to do with what we see. Why? Because controlling our eyes helps us to control our heart. Controlling our eyes helps us to control our heart. And if we control our heart, that will keep the rest of our lives, every aspect of our lives, that will keep all that in check. But it starts with the eyes, which then leads to the heart and then everything else. And so that goes both ways. That's a negative reality and a positive. It's all about what we choose to do with it. I said this earlier just a couple minutes ago, but it's worth repeating. There's no such thing as harmless lust. And here's the other thing about this. Everybody listen. Everybody hear this. This is not just a man's problem. And not just men 
are disposed to this. Women can sin in this way, what we're talking about this morning, women can sin in this way just as much. Now, of course, men are more visual creatures than women. We are more visually disposed than what women are. We respond more visually than women do. But that doesn't mean women don't respond visually. And that doesn't mean women don't have this to deal with in their minds and hearts just like men do. Author Melinda Fuller, a woman, says this. Love, love this statement. Please hear this, everyone. Melinda Fuller says, There must be a discussion about fantasy, about emotional affairs, which women, you're more likely to be triggered emotionally than men are. Men are more likely just naturally, to be more responsive physically than emotionally, but we all respond in some way or another in the same way. There must be a discussion about fantasy, emotional affairs, those steamy romance novels and movies, and social media as well. While sexual impurity is the physical act of defiling the marriage bed, It is just as much about the defiling of hearts. Lust lies to people all of the time. That unless a physical action occurs, there isn't a habit worth changing. But that isn't true. Melinda Fuller was absolutely on target with all of this. And that's what Jesus was saying here at this part of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, it's all about the physical. It's all about physical action occurring. So as long as physical action doesn't occur, you're fine, you're good. Jesus said, no, that's not what it is. Not at all. It's about the defiling of your heart. It's about what's inside of you. It's about your internal self. And then with all of that, Jesus gives another couple of startling statements to show how serious we need to take this and how serious the action needs to be to fight against what he's driving home here. Matthew five twenty nine through 30. He says this, after shining light on the, the real problem, the real issue, after shining light on the gravity of the situation, after correcting the faulty logic as it relates to this sin, he says this, if your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus was not being literal here, obviously. He was not promoting some sort of mutilation or amputation. After all, ultimately that wouldn't solve the problem. It would be like taking a water gun to a fire trying to put it out. It's not going to really deal with the issue because the issue is really in the heart. It's in the mind. Somebody that goes blind still has their thoughts and their thought life can still sin and be just as impure as if they had full vision. So he was making a radical statement He was exaggerating and using figures of speech to point out 
the fact that whatever the source of your struggle, your constant struggle, whatever the source of sin that is becoming a stronghold for you and in your life, he's saying, get rid of that. Whatever it is that is your trigger, whatever it is that's causing you this weakness, remove it. Get rid of it. Be willing to stamp out anything that's taking you along in this way. He's saying, no matter how significant or important this thing is in your life that is a trigger for you to sin in this way, you need to see it as not worth it and get rid of it. Get it out of your life. That's what he's saying. Rephrasing what I believe he's really trying to get across in my own words is this. Drastic action is required to demolish strongholds of sin. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he was doing by giving these examples, these obviously dramatic and not literal examples. Right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. He's saying drastic action is required to demolish strongholds of sin. And this sin has amazing power to become a stronghold of sin in our lives. All sin is serious, okay? We need to understand that. All sin is serious, but some sin is even more dangerous than others. And it's more addictive, and it's more powerful in its potential to grab on to us and destroy. And that's what Jesus is drawing attention to. Lust, impurity, adultery, sexual sin of any kind, it's really in a different category in terms of its danger, in terms of its power, in terms of its subtlety. And it can so quickly, so easily become a stronghold in our life. And we have to be willing to do what is necessary, even if it's radical, to fight it. A good example of what we're talking about here, a good example of the fact that drastic action is required to demolish strongholds of sin and that we do anything within our ability and power to escape this type of sin and that we need to be willing to do anything to get out and away from what is trying to conquer us. A good example of all that is found in what Joseph did in Egypt when he was in Potiphar's house. We see that account in Genesis 39, and again, we're not going to go there. You probably know that story as well. Joseph, he's the slave of Potiphar. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole house. God gave him favor in the eyes of Potiphar, and so Joseph ran the whole household. And I guess Potiphar, being captain of the guard, he was away a lot. So Mrs. Potiphar, she was either lonely or just incredibly immoral, like the product of the culture, which is more likely. She wasn't too concerned about being exclusive with Mr. Potiphar. And so she looks lustfully, longingly, repeatedly at Joseph. And, man, she's not subtle at all. She just goes for it. She says, Joseph, sleep with me. And he rejects, and he resists, and he refuses, and he says, I can't do this. That doesn't deter her. Finally, 
little bit of time goes along, and one day she, they're in the house and no one else is there, and she just grabs Joseph. And it's like dragging him, and like, come to bed with me. We know what happens. Joseph, I mean, he just he gets out of there. He doesn't even try to reason with her at this point. He just leaves his cloak and his robe and everything and runs out of the house. He flees. And that's the right response. Don't try to reason with your lust. Don't try to talk yourself out of lustful thinking, adulterous thoughts and an adulterous heart. Don't try to be stronger than it. Run away from it and run to the only one who is stronger than it, and that is God. That's the course of action. I'm going to say that again. Don't try to be stronger than the sin of lust or or adulterous thoughts and an adulterous heart. Don't try in your strength to be stronger than it because you're not and you won't be. Get out of there. Run. Escape. And run to the only source of strength that's stronger than it. And by no means is this limited to Joseph. Joseph did a great thing, but it's not limited to him. It's what all of us should do. It's what all of us should choose and determine to be and have the response that Joseph did. 2 Timothy 2.22, the Apostle Paul says this, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. This is in the NLT. 2 Timothy 2.22, Run! Do a Joseph. Be Joseph. Run from anything. Anything. And it's going to be different for each person. This isn't universal. What is a problem for one person may very well not be a problem for another. So Paul says run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteousness. You see the contrast? Run from anything that simulates youthful lust and instead run toward, pursue righteousness. Righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. It's good advice, isn't it? You see, it really does always come back to the heart. Really comes back to the heart. That's what Jesus is driving home here in this passage. In these statements, along with the previous statements he made, it all goes together. The sin of murder begins in the heart. The sin of adultery begins in the heart. Adultery is a sin of the heart before, long before, it becomes a sin of the body. Adultery is a sin of the heart before it becomes a sin of the body. That's why, church, that's why it's so important that we deal with it, and and all sin, really, at the heart level first, instead of starting with the external and the physical like we so often do. We start in the wrong direction in our trying to deal with sin a lot of the time. We start on the outside. We start with the physical. We try to get the outside nice and in order, you know, and in line, and We go through the motions. We make sure we're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's externally and ritually. And we're making sure we follow all these, you know, set of rules and that we we line up and look a certain way and we, we seem a certain way. And we focus so much on the external and on the physical, but we neglect the internal. 
so much of the time. And the way to deal with sin, especially this sin, is to start with the heart. We all want a holy heart, don't we? Don't you? Don't you want a holy heart? Well, a holy heart has scars from sin being removed. That's what a holy heart looks like. A holy heart is going to be a heart full of scars from where sin is constantly being removed and taken out of our heart. And it's not comfortable. It hurts. Heart surgery is a big deal, right? Many of you have had that. It's not pleasant. It's not easy. But it's necessary many times. Well, Christian, heart surgery for us is constantly needed. And so a really holy heart is going to have a whole lot of scars from where sin is being constantly removed out of it. And that's not just a one and done thing. This has to be a constant action. Now, with all that being said, if you are already a genuine Christian this morning, you're here, you're in Christ, you know that, I've got some really, really good and encouraging news for you. This all was pretty heavy, and I get that, but it's very needed. But now I just want to give you some really good and encouraging news. Listen. Everything we need to be able to do this, to be able to deal with sin at the heart level, to remove sin from our heart, to choose what our eyes rest on, all of that, everything that we need has already been made available to us. Romans thirteen fourteen says this, Clothe yourself... With the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. In other words, you already have the presence of the Lord Jesus with you if you're in Christ. If you're in Him, He's your Savior. You're in Him. You have all that He is in and around you. It's available. He is available. His presence is available to you. So you just have to make the choice to clothe yourself, to wrap yourself in all that He is. His righteousness, His power, His goodness. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So there's the first provision. It's Jesus. Secondly, Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. That's living by the Spirit and His power. Letting the Holy Spirit guide you, run your life, direct your steps, direct your thoughts. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. See how it goes hand in hand? Clothe yourself with the presence of Jesus and His power. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your flesh. And then by the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. It's not rocket science. And it's not something we have to try to do really, really well on our own and just try harder and get more strength. No, no. Everything we need is available to us 
But it's not in us naturally. It's made available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit, which is in us. That's what it all comes down to. You have the ability. I have the ability. Not of ourselves, but by grace, through faith, in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus and the indwelling Spirit of God, who, with all of His power, raised Jesus from the dead, and with all of His power, will continually raise you and me to the new life that we're supposed to be living in. Isn't that good news? Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for the instruction of Your Word. Thank You for the power of Your Spirit. Thank You that Jesus loved His original audience and every reader of the Sermon on the Mount all the way up to us today. Thank You that Jesus loved us, all of His followers, enough to teach on this point, to correct faulty thinking. Help us to heed His words on this and every subject. Help us by the Holy Spirit to apply in very personal and specific ways exactly what we need to apply. May we not be hearers of the Word, but doers also. And I thank You that though we have fallen in this area, a million different times, a million different ways, I thank you that the promise of 1 John 1.9 rings true, holds true, and can be claimed by us. That if we confess our sin, even this sin, the sin of lust, the sin of adultery, whether in mind and heart or in action even, if we confess our sins, He, you, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for that promise and that hope. May we come to you to be cleansed constantly. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.